All right, everybody. Thanks so much for stopping by another live episode of Real Estate Titans, sponsored by Lionbolt Media. I'm your host, Greg Fowler, traveling throughout the marketplace, interviewing the top real estate professionals in our field, essentially gathering insight, inspiration, really drives and motivates these top producers above and beyond everybody else in what I'd like to consider a real estate titan. Our very special guest and featured titan for episode 279, all the way from beautiful Vermont, none other than Adam Bergen Rother. Adam, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you, my friend. Uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Well, Greg, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be here and I know how much work goes into putting these on. So thank you for all that you're doing for almost 300 <laughs> episodes. That's just not just you tried this thing out and then went down there. So you've, you're adding a lot of value to people in the industry. So thanks for what you're doing. Adam, that means the world coming from you, my friend. I, I mean that you being a fellow podcast host and doing what you do to the level you do it at, that, uh, that hits very close to the heart, my friend. And, and I know the audience appreciates that too. But Adam, I can't wait to really dive in to you as a man, as a professional, and kind of the story and the journey of your life up to this point. Uh, I know that's a lot to cover in a short period of time, but we'll do what we can. Uh, so Adam, if you're if you're all right with it, let's dive into the first question, which really is your origin story. So who is Adam Hergenrother? What got him into the business? decisions that you made along the way that essentially brought you to where you are today? What, what does that origin story look like? Yeah. Well, when people it's, I want to answer that in a little long-winded way, but when people Love ask it. you kind of who it is, who I am, like, right. Adam Hergen Rother, that's just the role that I play. Right. Yeah. I, I'm really, ultimately I'm the, I'm the witnesser and experiencer of life Oof. It's ultimately who I am, but let's, let's get, we'll get there. Um, you know, most of my life I was growing up, I was, uh, uh, I was overweight, actually ended up being hundred pounds overweight up until I was uh, a freshman in high school. Uh, I was in the drugs, failing classes, you know, that role model student, Greg, you wanted your kids to hang out with. Right? Of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and you know, one, I, I always knew, um, through middle school and coming up into there that like, this was not the life that I was supposed to live. Mm. And I'm saying it better now than I did then, but there was just like this knowing and an aha, kind of like this movement that was always there that I knew that I was being very inauthentic. If you want to use that word. Wow. And one day I came home as a freshman, like the first two weeks of being a freshman in high school. And I just started, I just came home and the group I was hanging out with, none of them were my friends. They were just losers, right? Like they were lost in their own world. That's a better way of saying it. And I was lost with them. And I, uh, I just stayed up all night crying. Remember, listen, I was listening to Celine Dion. Um, wow. It was just like a pop, I know, like it's just, it was right there over and over on like a CD. You remember there was CDs back then. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I just, I just was like, I can't believe, like, I don't, it was just more of like, I don't know what I'm doing in my life. Like, why am I, what am I doing this for? Wow. Um, and so I just made a decision that day that I was no longer going to live anybody else's life. And I don't mean that I was going to go out there and be arrogant. I just, I didn't want to live and, and try to prove to other people that I could be like, like how I, they wanted me to be so I could be accepted or anything like that. And, uh, the next day I, I stopped hanging out with all those guys and side note of a story. I ended up, there ended up being like, a like cops were called. They broke all my windows. They stole my stuff. Like yeah. it got into like two weeks of like my brother and he was in college so him and like 10 friends came down and we had like a one night It just went all out. And then actually after that night, it all stopped. But for like two weeks, like this is how, this is how they acted, right? And um, so and then I was kind of lost for a couple of weeks. And then at that time, I'd actually started playing football. Okay. Uh, and so I I ended up uh, I ended up becoming captain of my football team, but I lost a hundred pounds in a year. Uh, oh, I stopped man. hanging out with those kids. I made new friends that um, that I had known before, but we just kind of came much more connected and closer to them. And I employ some of them now and still friends with some of them now. So it's pretty wonderful. Wow. Um, and then you know, I kind of uh, you know, fast forward to the next pivotal moment. I, I'll I'll, I'll 
I'll uh, put a pin in that now. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. Okay. Um, when I was in college, I, uh, I actually, at this point, I was trying really hard. You know, mm-hmm. in school, it's not necessarily easy for me. Like, I don't do really well on standardized tests, sure. um, but I was willing to work harder than most people were. And I realized that in an early age, um, early age in high school, if you will. And I, uh, I, because I failed classes as a freshman, I had to go through what's called a gap program at UVM and it's like guaranteed admissions. And I had to get a three Oh, and I did the first semester. So I got in, but it was really hard for me. Um, and then I just, uh, as a sophomore in college, there's two key points here. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a roommate, maybe people did too, as well, that, uh, was selling cars, but they were, they were a roommate, but didn't go to school. Right. Like they were just kind of like hanging out in our couch, like all the time, like with us. And, uh, he was actually, he was one of my best friends at the time and his dad owned a car dealership. And he said, Hey, look, I think if you give me $500 and I have $500, we can buy a car and I think I can fix it up and sell it. And we can make like $500 each. And I had like $700 in my bank account. Right. Okay. So I go, fine, I'll give you the $500. He's like, we should be able to turn this around in two weeks. We buy it. We both made a thousand dollars. And so <laughs> I say that because it was the first time that I felt leverage. It was the first time that I used money to make money and what it felt like to not be hands-on with it and what it was to like actually own a business. And that kind of got me hooked. So we did that for, excuse me, for about seven or eight months, made enough money. And I also learned a value of contracts because once he had enough, he's like, I don't, you're not really doing anything. So I don't really need you either more. So I took that money and bought a pre-construction unit condo in real estate as a sophomore in college. Wow. Uh, this was 2002 to help put it in perspective for mm-hmm. everybody. So the market, right? 2002, three, four, right? It was going up. And so every, before it was even built, it was worth $20,000 more. And I'm like, dude, Greg, no wonder why everyone's in real estate. You just buy a piece of real estate and it just goes up. Like this, this is the is easiest easy. thing in the world. <laughs> like this is like, no wonder why everyone's walking around with all these things. Love it. And, uh, and then I had a, I, I ended up renting that unit out. Um, and, uh, I didn't live in it. So I was living in my brother's basement versus living in a nice rental because I just valued rental more and CTX mortgage. I don't know if you remember CTX mortgage. Mm. They were around to price 06, 07. Wow. They actually called my note because they found out that I was renting for it. And by the way, I've never heard of anybody getting their note called on them, but they called mine at the time. Crazy. I thought that like, this was like a, like a terrible decision because real estate was going up mm-hmm. and, and, and then it sold. I ended up selling it because they called my note. I ended up selling it and made like another 60 or $65,000 on that sale. Uh, and two things happened. One, uh, the market completely crashed after that. It was actually the largest sale that sold until 2012 from 2005. So sometimes life knows more than we do. So I we mean, yeah. our minds there. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is I paid a real estate commission out and I was like, what the hell? I just paid out like $22,000 or whatever it was. And I was like, hold on. Like this, I just got, I, I sold in 05. I graduated. I was working as a financial controller and I was like, uh, I can go sell real estate, right. And do this. And so I ended up, uh, leaving and I actually ended up, my professor from college got me another job as a financial controller. I had my own office, my secretary, I was making like 54 grand a year with some bonuses. I could control my calendar at the time. I was like, this is a great life. And I was yeah. like, I was just probably like you and many people listening to this. I was just unemployable. And I don't mean that negatively or positively. I just was, didn't matter how good of a job somebody could give to me. The fact that somebody else could control my time, my energy, my thinking, the direction that I want to pull things in really just weighed on me. And so I made the decision in um, late 2005 to leave that job, which my professor had vouched for me. I went in training and 
uh, and whatnot. And I got in the real estate in early 2006 and people thought it was crazy because the market was completely collapsing. Bank, this mortgage banks were dropping out left and right. And they're like, what are you doing? Hmm. And I was like, you know, I just, I, I, I just, I remember sitting there going, well, if I can surround myself by people smarter than me, then like, I know I can work harder than everybody can. I didn't say it like that, but that's just kind of how I, I did it. And I'm going to find out, I got my real estate license. I started in the first month I was in real estate. I didn't have an office. So I worked out of a 400 square foot apartment and okay. back up a second. I borrowed eight grand to start my first business. Okay. Um, so I borrowed eight grand to start it. And I went and I took half of that money and I went to a Howard Britton conference. Oh, wow. And that was in the, it happened to be in like the first two weeks because somebody told me to go do that. And I did. I came, I remember the first year or so that I, the first uh, hour that I was in the Howard Britton conference, I was like, I've gotten enough because I was brand new. I was like, I've gotten enough that I'm ready to go, right? To do it. But I came back and it was, I just went to work. And I remember showing up at the first meeting that our office had. It was the 28th day that I'd been licensed and I had three pendings under three homes under contract. Mm -hmm. And I walk in there and people kept coming up to me and be like, are you Adam? I'm like, yes. They're like, how would you do what you do? And at first I thought I did something wrong. I really did. Cause I'm, I'm so <laughs> brand new in the real estate and even really into the corporate world wow. or any world there. And I was like, what, what do you mean with it? There's no, like, what'd you do? How'd you get three pendings in less than a month? Mm. And um, I remember later on that day, I, I turned around and I asked him and I'm like, well, I just worked basically seven days a week, 12 hour days, like just to make sure I got an appointment. And I, and I turned around, I was like, well, what'd you do all day? And then that's when, of course, we all know that most real estate professionals really do not work. They love the freedom, but the freedom is actually what causes them to fail um, to do it. Well you know, and I, that, that process happened and I'll pause in like two minutes, but I'll just share something else. That process happened for a couple of years. I, for probably two or three years, I worked my ass off and I actually really enjoyed it though. I really, really enjoyed it. Like I loved making money. I loved the, the, the power that I was getting. I loved the authority that I was having. I loved being, I took my, from zero to in the first year and a half to be the number one team in the state of Vermont, which is not hard by the way, there's more cows than people, but I still did that. And so all this was getting to me. And then I set this goal out that if I was like, man, if I made $500,000 a year in net profit, like somehow there was going to be a fruit tree in my backyard that just filled me with bliss all the time. Right. Like that's what I bought into because that's what we're told. Right. Like if you're told, if you go win in life, meaning that if you go make money and become successful and get accolades, you will be permanently in a state of just awesomeness. Right. Mm -hmm. And I bought into that really hard. And um, my third year or fourth year into there, um, I think three and a half years in, I hit $500,000 in income. Wow. And I remember being at a holiday party with my mom and I was like, Hey mom, like who's the most unassuming person ever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I, I made this amount of money. And she was like, Oh, that's great. Pass the ketchup. And I just remember that, uh, because I remember that it wasn't even what she said. It was like, she didn't care. And I realized nobody else cared either. And I was like, do I even care? I'm like, what am, what am I even doing here? Mm. And everything that I had kind of set my, my sights on were so focused on these outward manifestations of everybody wanting to see how amazing I was. Um, and I did that through, through money, right. And through power and through fame, like little fame that I had and mm -hmm. whatnot. And then, but the problem was what happened is um, <laughs> I started getting that same feeling I did 10 years before. And I was like, this can't be life. This can't be what life is all about. This cannot be, it can't be about making money. It can't be about fame. It can't be about these things. And I didn't get depressed. I just, when you go and accomplish what you thought out to accomplish and it doesn't do anything for you, it just started getting me to ask deeper questions in my life. Like what, what is the point of life? And this was, you know, so you, you factor, this was, I was 27 or 28, I'm 42 now. Mm. Uh, and I just was like, 
why are we here, <laughs> right? These big existential questions of our life, like, who am I, right? Like, wh- what, what am I even doing? And it was, you know, then I, I shortly right after that, my, my girlfriend at the time, but soon to be wife was, um, got me into transcendental meditation. She said, Hey, um, there's this MTM place that's here. And I think you might enjoy it. She knew that I was bothered by all this and trying to figure it out. Right. Like I was just like, I, it's not like I wanted to go like hide in a cave, but like, I just, I wanted these, I, this inner experience that I'm having was, was not fun. And I was like, I realized at that moment that by going out and getting what I wanted in the external world was never going to bring me any permanent level of joy or completeness or fullness or well-being in my life. And so I just realized there was a different path. And, And the challenge that I really had though, was how do you do both? Like sitting in a cave Indian style in front of a fire, like reciting haikus does not sound fun to me, right? I wanted to build a business. I enjoyed being involved with the people that I was involved with. I enjoyed the challenges that came from that. And so I really set off that 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 moment, just like I did 10 years before that as a way. And again, I can't say it like I, I say it better now, obviously looking back, but mm-hmm. I just reoriented myself in a different direction and said, there's got to be a change. There's got to be something more to life than just doing this. And yet I also want to, I want to be in this world, but not of it. I mean, somebody else said that way better than I did Jesus, right? He said, I want to be in this world, but not of it. Right. Um, and that's really ultimately what, what that means is like, I want to go participate in here, but I don't need to be involved in the, you know, of trying to manipulate the external world to get it the way that I want it to, so that I can feel better momentarily and then try to figure out how to keep it and maintain it and have all that anxiousness, which is what we're doing running around every single day. I'll, I'll stop. Right there. <laughs> oh, Adam, I never want to stop you, my friend. This is incredible. Uh, I mean, thank you so much for diving deep into the earlier days and, uh, you know, taking us back to the Celine Dion CD. I mean, to me, <laughs> The, 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 the whole point behind that, Adam, and I think everybody really needs to take this to heart, is there are evolutionary milestones into life. And whether we you know seize those moments of evolution or we ignore them and continue to perpetuate where we're currently at is completely up to us in design. You did that at an early age. And then talking about 10 years subsequent to making the 500K, having the comment from your mother saying, uh, yeah, that's nice. Pass the ketchup, Adam. I, I mean, to me... It's such a beautiful thing that happened to you and to your life as you're explaining that journey and all the details that you put in between to kind of formulate this man as we're building. Let, let's get let's get right after that. I really I really want to go keep going down the line because yeah. there's so much that you've done. <laughs> I want to make sure we touch it. So, all right, you you had the thought process of your then girlfriend, now now wife, but yeah. soon to be, uh, about the meditation aspect and what's going. So. Let's go from there, but then where does your career and life yeah. change? Like what's the next step yeah. or, or evolution? Yeah, you know, I um I, you know, TM meditation for me was like a gateway drug into spirituality. I okay. always kind of say it that way. It just yeah. kind of got me realizing that there is this whole inner experience. I mean, we all know there's a voice in our head, there's these emotions that show up, and how do you make sense of all that? The really interesting thing, I'll, I'll fast forward on two different tracks. The first track being the external part of my life. I, the minute I made my life about inner world, um, my external world developed beautifully. Okay. Um, so the minute essentially I stopped making it about myself, mm-hmm. uh, I opened up two or three different businesses. I start, you know, I ended up moving to Keller Williams. Gary Keller became a mentor and friend. I was down at his, his ranch or one of his houses every month for three or four days for five, four or five years. Wow. Um, 
So I became super close with him. I learned a lot from business from him mm-hmm. and we expanded. We, you know, we, the, I opened up a construction company, Alzheimer's care facilities, market centers, different businesses. And then ultimately her group, which then turned into Livian, which I'll, I'll come back to in a second, Please, um, yeah. became our expansion team. And, you know, I, I, I hit my financial metrics in Vermont and I said, I need to take it out there. And Gary said, you need to go to expand. Wow. And so I went out there and I expanded in Maine and, and, you know, I remember 90 days in, I transferred 10 grand from that bank account and it wasn't about the money. It was about, I never had my license there. I never talked to a client there. I, you know, I never, um, you know, worked with another agent. I just leading somebody and duplicated our systems there and it, and it worked. Right. Sure. Um, and that's why I was like, wow, this actually works. By the way, I'll back up. When I was selling real estate, because people forget about this, <laughs> I was selling 120 to 140 listings a year with one person. Honestly. So now today when I coach, you know, I've got well over a thousand people that work for me now. And when I hear agents telling me they're at 30, 40 transactions, they need all these people. I just, I'm a little, I'm a little taken back and I'm like, you don't, you really don't like you, you actually, I see these teams, they have so much staff and I'm going like, you, you're missing the point you're too heavy and it's actually causing more problems because there's complexities that you're putting on there that don't need to be there. That's really what got me into expanding in the first place was like, we have a really highly profitable model that we can develop and bring to people. And Mm -hmm. so there from there expansion, as you've seen over the last 12, 13 years has taken ups and downs. And and Mm -hmm. and at one point there was 10,000 people in it. And now I think there's like five, right. That might be doing it at a high level. There might be more than that, but a handful of people, 10, 20 people that are doing it at a high level and showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2019, I realized that in order to take, you know, at that point we were 30 million in GCI and maybe around 4 million in profit. Um, and I realized that um, I wanted to take this to a whole nother level. Wow. And, and that's when I saw a side at the time, get like a billion dollar valuation, which was unprofitable and less GCI than I was. And I literally was like, what the, are you kidding? Like, <laughs> yeah. What's that? They're about? getting a billion dollar valuation and they're smaller GCI and they're unprofitable. Like this does not make any sense. So I started shopping around, right? I literally went out there and we had four offers. Um, And ultimately the one that was easiest for me to choose was to partner with Gary. Um, And so we created Livian and um, you know, now we Livian is entirely focused on solving one problem, one problem only, which is agent productivity. Um, Mm. We do other things, but our main focus is quality over, over um, quantity and focused on solving a real problem that benefits anybody. I got to a point where Mm. if I was going to put energy into something, I wanted to solve a big problem. Um, And so Livian wakes up every day. The staff wakes up every day to solve an agent productivity problem, which is how do you make agents more productive? Now, every agent doesn't need to do six transactions, but how do we make sure that they come into Livian that they're doing at least two, right? Mm -hmm. Two, 24 to 30 transactions a year, wonderful quality of life. You can have a wonderful life. You can make plenty of money doing that. But we also want to support the people that want to do five, six, seven, eight transactions a year or a month as well, too. And we want to have the highest productivity of systems. I believe most teams are way overcomplicated. They get too many things that are shiny. They have too many things they try to execute on and don't end up, they only do about 10% execution on all their things. And so we really simplify this and really focus on agent productivity. All along on the outside, I was, you know, I was, I, I wrote a book, The Founder and Force Multiplier. I built other businesses alongside of me. Um, and, you know, and that's kind of taken us from the external world to where we are today. I'll pause there and see anything. Adam, you unpacked a ton into there. And again, just giving you, giving the audience myself, the lineage of time frame is beautiful. As you were going through, uh, you know, kind of earlier on, and, and I, I want to ask you as far as evolution of your thought, 
what is it all for, Adam? I mean, you you had that kind of thought process and moment years and years ago in a secondary kind of time frame. I mean, obviously building businesses and, and helping families and, and executing at a high level, but what is it for you, Adam? I mean, what gets you excited out of bed every morning doing what you do to the level you do it at? It's obviously something bigger than yourself. And, and, and where does that come from? Where does that stem from? What's your big driver, I guess? Yeah. In the beginning, it was, a, it was even when I made that decision, Greg, it was still about money and it was still about fame. As much as I want to tell you that like <laughs> I was like reformed in that moment, I wasn't right. It was still about, I want, you know, the lake house and all these cars and sure. I want everyone to see how amazing I was. And that honestly lasted for about three years okay. at like a certain level. Mm-hmm. And then it just started to fall away fast. Like mm-hmm. a shakes, like a snake shedding its skin. It just started to going off there. And I realized I, the, the world has lost its salt, right? If you would use that phrase, which is- yeah. There was really nothing outside in the world that was going to turn me on the way it is. Um, the reason why I could, so from the beginning that was I was still driving for ego's purpose, if you want to use that right. that I created. Um, as that it wasn't like a, again like a light switch either. As it started to fade away, though, um, I started asking myself deeper questions about um, what do I not like? What do I want out of life? Because I think that's an overrated question. I know that's probably an unpopular decision, but going to get what you want in life. I don't think is your path. Like I I, I say that and people hear that and they go, well, what's the point? And I go, well, everything else around us is the world's been here for four and a half billion years. Okay. Mm -hmm. They just came out and said the galaxies have been out here for 27 billion years. Hmm. It would be like reading a hundred million page book. If you read two words and you go, I know everything that's supposed to be about this book. That's how way people wake up and they think about their life. And it's Ridiculous. like, we know nothing. We know the 25 trillion cells in our body. How do you, how do you make yourself listen to this right now? How do you know you can see, how do you make that happen? You don't do any of this. We don't do any of this. So to think that we are actually really impacting any of this is, is kind of an illusion to a certain extent. That's a very egoic thing. Um, for me, it's, I used in those earlier stages, just taking you through my thought process. Yeah. So when I started getting out of that, like probably 12, 13, 14, 2012, 13, 14, mm-hmm. I really started using business as a conduit for my personal growth. Got so it. meaning that there was like, I didn't sign up for a lawsuit. I wouldn't sign up for three leadership people to leave in one day and, or whatever the things are, I'm just making stuff up. I wouldn't sign up for trying to figure out how to do a $300,000 cash shortfall, right? You just, you, you, you don't sign up for these things, but you do learn a lot when you go through them. Right. And so I, I, for me, it's waking up every day so that the moment that's in front of me that passes by is better off for having passed by my consciousness. That's mm-hmm. the only reason why I wake up and do any of this. I don't, I could stop doing anything for generations at this point from a financial standpoint. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, I wake up and say, well, what can I do? And whatever is in front of me, I, I sit there and I raise it up. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're you're going to walk around with a coat of anxiousness um, of trying to get what you want and then avoid what you don't want. And that's what if you if people pay attention, that's what they're doing every single day. You're trying mm-hmm. to manipulate people, places, and things, the nouns, right, to get people to say what you want, all so that you can control your inner experience. And we all know what we're talking about because what we do if we don't like something. We try to control inner experience about talking negatively about them or talking shit about them or trying to fire them or do whatever we can to get them out of their way. Whatever it is, we try to diffuse the energy that's inside of us to make us feel relatively okay. And then people would say, well, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. There's just a deeper path. You will play that game. If you want to be a worldly person and play that game your entire life, you will play that game your entire life, which is what do I want? How do I go get it? Right. 
And mm. here's the funny thing, you know, um, it's only been 30 or so years that people have woken up and said, what do you want to do, Greg? Right? Like what's right. your path or what's the leadership teachings mm -hmm. for hundreds of thousands of years that human sapiens have been around. There's been a constant message that seems to have been lost, but's coming back, which is who are you? Mm -hmm. Know thyself inscribed on ancient pyramids for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, the Bhagavad Gita has been written, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago and is still passed along with the same principal truths, which is why people wake up with this, this kind of this itch that's inside them of not knowing, like, how do I be authentic, Adam? People are like, how do I find my passion? And I go, well, let me ask you a question. That's such a, I love the fact that you're asking that question, yeah. but why wouldn't you just be passionate about anything you're doing? Why set yourself up so that your your happiness, your passion, your well-being is conditioned on you doing something externally? Because then what you're going to do is every day you're going to wake up to try to do that so you can feel better instead of just allowing the world to unfold the way it's going to unfold and enjoying the moment that is in front of you so you can raise the moment up so it's better off for having passed by you. If you don't play that game, you will literally manipulate and try to get the way everything you want it to be so you can be relatively okay. But that's that to me, that is not, I mean, again, that's, that's a, there's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful. And people are at their own path. Um, but when you ask me in terms of like, what gets me going every day is I have another day to work on myself. So I have less of myself every single day. Mm. But what a beautiful answer to that, that, uh, you know, kind of tall question that I think people poise for the immediate uh, check boxes, right? Everybody's looking to kind of check the boxes and answer that in a way. And, and the authenticity that came out of you, Adam, is massive. And, and I can tell that through the leadership style that you have, and obviously looking at it from the CEO and founder, you know, sort of standpoint in a multitude, it shows, I mean, just this conversation and dialogue, I'm thinking to myself, wow. I mean, just the breadth and depth of knowledge that you are sharing is massive. I mean, tons of takeaways and nuggets that are going through, but I, I want to go down a little bit deeper of a layer into there because a lot of professionals, they, they look to the Titans for guidance and for further knowledge into life, true practitioners. Adam, you've been there, you've done that, you've bought the t-shirt as they say. <laughs> um, you know, So looking at it from perspective that way, what on the personal side of life do you recommend? Because I know that this is very important to you. And, and again, it's not just the production and the milestones into that, but what you're leaving as a legacy into the world. So what advice would you give anybody who is a top tier professional and they've hit the accolades and the numbers, but they're miserable? I mean, they are really, and Adam, you and I know people like this. So yeah. what, what do you say to that person about their life and their perspective and, and really how to live by design? Um, you know, in, in, in quote, something along those lines, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's great. That's a wonderful question. You know, for one is I would just start paying attention to what's going on. Hmm. And what I mean, by I don't mean outside, I mean inside. And just pay attention to what you've been doing your entire life. Hmm. And you'll notice if you, and I'll just even ask you, like, we all have things that we've wanted in life many, many times. We wanted our driver's license. We want a car. We wanted a bunny when we were six. We wanted our first bike. We wanted a new mountain bike. We wanted to look a certain way. We wanted to get married. We wanted to have a kid. We wanted to put a fence up. Look, the list goes on. Yeah, yeah. And I always ask anybody, and I really get in this. I'm like, so have you ever not wanted something else? And oh. the answer is always no. Of course no. I wanted something else. Yeah. And so anything that's ever been a luxury item, once you get it, is no longer a luxury item. Anything that you once want no longer becomes the end all, mm. but we we've somehow, 
it's like we we choose to forget that our mind convinced us that if we got this, everything was going to be great. Yeah, and we got get it. it. Yeah, and then the minute we get it, we then stop and go, everything's not great. So therefore, then you go, oh no, it's not. Well, Greg, you know what? You need to go make more money. Mm-hmm. I get that you needed to make a million, boy. But once you got a million, it's pretty cool. But what would five million look like? What would five million do? And then you go, your right mind. That's that would be the best thing because then I'd be able to go do this and I would leave this legacy and which I still think is a is a we'll talk about legacy later. But like I, it's sure. like you could be able to do all this and 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 whatnot. And, and then you buy into the mind. It's like a two year old toddler that is spoiled inside there that is literally waving its diaper every second going like, come listen to me. And that's all people listen to. So the first step and the reason why people feel that way, and I would, I would, you know, there's different degrees. People hear the word suffering or, or not happy. It's like, I don't mean like you're getting like your broken arm or your death or divorce or you're bankrupt. I mean, the fact that you get out of bed and you're pissed off that you're five minutes late, that there's somebody driving in front of you six miles under the speed limit. That's going to have zero impact on the rest of your life. And you're frustrated for hours about it. Like right. the fact that your phone didn't charge last night and you now are issues with the fact that your phone's only at 50%. And now you start suffering mm-hmm. the things that like all those little things, like the Buddha went away for a while and came back and said, look, I figured life out. And they said, what? And he goes, all life is suffering. Not wow. suffering for rich, not suffering for wealth. And you don't, this isn't like a spiritual conversation. It's just, we're all suffering, right? Like, and seriously, Every and that's day. what, that's what level I mean. Like you you wake up and like, you're like, shit, I got to do this appointment. You're not suffering, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh man, why did that person send that email? Now your level of suffering, your inner world changed. You have this inner disturbance. So the first place to start is just become aware of what's happening in there. You wow. have this voice that talks mm-hmm. and it just doesn't stop ever. And you're just so glued to it that you're paying attention to it, thinking that that's you. That is not you. That is a voice inside you. By definition, if you can hear a voice, that is a subject object relationship. Therefore that is not subject subject. Mm. (laughs) So you have just, you create this space in there first. And then you realize that like, again, I would ask anybody, are you your thoughts? And they would say, well, no, because I have thoughts and they go, I go, well, then you just choosing some thoughts to be you. And remember Mm. Emotions are not you. I would say, are you anger? And they would say, no, but it's something I'm like, it's something that you experience. Great. So then who is the one that watches the thought? Who is the one that feels the emotion? Great question. Mm-hmm. And that is the underlying question of what you get out to, which is what people are searching for, which is who am I? Right. Mm-hmm. And once you start gathering that space back there, wow. and we went deep fast here, but once you start gathering that space back there, you then begin to realize that I can still build a business and have a boat and a plane if you want to and Mm. do all these things. Yeah, I'm just not tied to any of them. Mm. They're not going to dictate the level of happiness or well-being that's inside me, whether I hit things or not. Remember, goals have a beginning and an end. They're not the purpose of your life. Mm. The goals keep us in track. They're wonderful. Use them. They're great. Doesn't mean you can't fire people or hire people or make money or the other side of that. You know, it's the, the reality is, is, Somebody that wakes up, because I hear this frequently now from people that follow our podcast, they go, well, I just want to go live a simple life, Adam. And I go, great, you should go do that. Mm -hmm. And understand that that thought is no different than somebody coming in saying, I want a bunch of things, Adam. It's still a thought. A thought comes in and says, I want a simple life. Mm -hmm. Great. That's fine if you want to do it, but it's still a thought. Right. Again, and so you just become aware that I've been paying attention to all these thoughts and then acting on them, which is why everything's felt inauthentic in my entire life. Hmm. 
It blows blows me away that you mentioned that though. And and why why do you feel that there was the in inauthenticity, Adam? I mean, what what is it about that and the way that you were living? Is it because it was positioning for other people in your life that didn't matter? I mean, it was expectations or I just think anytime that you are listening and paying attention to your self-concept, which is your ego, your self-concept is just a collage of your experiences, things you've read, listened to, people that have coached you. It's just a collage of that. It's it's you've built like this real imaginary mirage if those mm-hmm. words make sense put together right inside of you <laughs> yeah. that you call a self-concept mm-hmm. and that and that becomes the strongest desire in human history is to maintain that sense of self so mm-hmm. all of you your entire life if you if you wake up and go i'm in business mm-hmm. i have this family i am i'm this role i play these things mm-hmm. you will be attached to it and therefore there will be some level of you that's attached to it and mm-hmm. and, and anything that gets hit around that you'll be disturbed. Like you don't care the person next to you got their bankruptcy or went they went bankrupt or lost money. You don't you don't get affected by that. Right. But the minute it happens to you, you feel it. So it's not the event that makes you feel anything. Because mm-hmm. if it was, I mean, we've been on this podcast for 35 minutes. Probably a thousand people have died worldwide, right? Sure. Whatever that is. We didn't feel any of that, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not events or bankruptcies that have happened or people that have won the lottery in this time that we're doing it or sold their business and just became multimillionaires. We didn't feel any of that either. So it's none of those events. Those events themselves aren't the catalyst. It's, it's, they, they feel personal to us because we still have things in there that are blocked. So it's preventing us from feeling the energy that we need. And I always just give you a simpler example of this. Yeah. Yeah. Think of like the the time that you felt the highest that you've ever felt in your entire life. You know what I mean? Like the highest energy that you felt. Maybe it was a time that you you had a great podcast person. It was the birth of a child. You you bought a house. You made a ton of money, but you felt so high, right? Maybe the first time you were in love, like nothing else mattered. You were just feeling so much energy from within that it didn't matter almost what you did. Yep. And that's how you're supposed to be walking around this world. Wow. So therefore, if you are walking around with that level of energy, it's called a peace that passes all understanding because it can't be understood the same way we want to understand why I feel good when I make money or why I feel good when I bought a car or why I feel good when I hired this person. It's fine for those things that you feel good from it. Let it feel good. Let the energy come in. But you just stop relying on things outside to make your energy flow. Wow. So the whole inner work experience, people miss this. The whole inner work experience is designed so that you permanently are sitting in a state that feels amazing, that feels the highest that you felt. Therefore, you take that and you bring that into the world. You bring that into your conversation. You bring that into your relationships. You bring that into business. Mm-hmm. And as you do that, you will feel f- true well-being in your life. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you become successful or poor or in between or both, because mm-hmm. then you start truly realizing that you're not making decisions from an egoic or self-concept level, which you asked about authenticity, mm-hmm. which is where most people are, well, hold on, 99.9% of the world is making their decisions from that place, which why they always feel inauthentic because wow. they are, they're not you. You're making a decision based on a concept that was created by you. Mm-hmm. That again, it was like two words out of a hundred million page book that's telling you how to live your life. And you're going, I'm doing all this. How come I don't feel great? And you go, because it would be like you're a turtle walking out of the pond going, Greg, you should go move to China tomorrow. And you go, sure, let's go, right? And you do that and you're like, I don't feel any different, right? Like we wouldn't do that if a turtle came and spoke to us. Well, maybe if a turtle did, but you get my point, right? Like, (laughs) 
but we, we then wake up every moment and go, we're listening to our mind say the same thing. So in order to avoid in, inauthenticity, it's not about a badge of being an asshole, which is what people are using it for right now. It's like, I'm being authentic. So I'm gonna tell you how I feel. No, you're just being an asshole, right? That's not, that's not it. <laughs> being authentic is getting outside of your self-concept so you can see clearly the direction that you can take your life. And I always say, people always go, well, how do I know the clarity? I'm like, right now you don't have any clarity because you're listening to your mind and it's covering up the direction. So the minute uh, York Sharir, one of the very enlightened masters once said, an ignored guest quickly leaves. Mm -hmm. So the minute you ignore your mind or stop paying attention to it, it'll, it'll naturally move away mm -hmm. and you'll be left with true clarity. It'll be undisguised for you to figure out the direction of your life. Mm -hmm. It, it, but as you're saying that, Adam, it, it really speaks volumes to the learned nature of you understanding the different facets and, and layers of life. And, and it blows my mind to have these types of conversations with individuals into the highest of level of thought process. And this brings me to the equation. You're a father. I'm a father. You know, when we talk about these things and making massive impacts into other people's lives and obviously the organizations that you run and operate and, you know, thousands of employees that are going through, what does that look like as a dad? How, how do you approach it into a nature to distill down the details that you've experienced into your life and open up the thought process away from the traditional outcome because most people don't think the way you think. Adam, you got to know that if you don't know yeah. that I'm telling you, you don't think the way most people think in the best of ways. So how as a father, are you instilling those thought processes or how does your relationship look like with your children? I'm curious from a dad to a dad. I have two kids, a boy and a girl, and I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah. I have three under 11. It's a big question that we get a lot. Um, you know, the number one thing to do is model more than anything. And I'm not going to leave you with that answer because that's easy, but like, no, no, that's, no but that's a good start. A good that's, start. That is like the, the place to do it is to model. So I'm also, I'm extremely open and authentic. And I use that word clearly when I, I'll explain what authentic means because people can get lost. Mm -hmm. If I'm having a bad day or if my ego's Velcroing me to a thought, I will tell them. And we've named the voice in our head and we'll say like, I'll ask them randomly, how's that voice doing in your head? Like, ah, it's kind of yelling today. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Mine was too. Right. I'm like, this thing happened at work. And I'll tell my seven-year-old, like this thing happened at work and it, man, I lost it for about 15 seconds. And I came back. I'm like, did you lose it today at all? Yeah. And uh, they're like, yeah, I did a little bit. And so you're just being really open in these things. I, that's one degree. And the other degree, I also from day one, I've told my kids that you're going to get two things from me. Mm -hmm. You're going to be rewarded in terms of, of health and some education if you want to, and we'll will loan you an amount up to for your first house. Outside of that, you are hundred percent on your own financially. Wow. Don't come to me for any other money. Cause I do not, one of the things that I, this is outside of the spiritual stuff, but sure. some friends of mine that became very wealthy and they went through the years of that said, hey, make sure your kids, unless you want to give it to them, which is that's somebody's desire. They can sure. um, know early on. So they're not thinking they're going to get that. So ever I, explicitly let my kids know that they're not getting anything. And it was it happened the first time a while ago. And my, one of my kids was like, yeah, well, we're millionaires. And I said, well, hold on. What'd you just say? And I said, they said, what? We're millionaires. I said, hold on. Who's a millionaire. There you go. And I said, I'm a millionaire. Mom and I are, but you're not. You and go. I said, understand that you're going to get education and health from me mm -hmm. and we'll loan you some money for your first house. Cause I think having a house is important or your first in real estate investment, if that's what you want instead, 
you're more than welcome to. I'm, I'm sure more than happy to help you out or be a bank that you're going to pay capital on. But mm-hmm. you are, this is not going to be a free ride and you're going to have to earn your, you have to find your way. And so they're all very clear on that. So from a, from the financial perspective, and then we also set up guard guardrails here. It's like, okay, we want to go on a BC trip. Sure. I could easily just pay and write the check out, but we go, no, we're all going to save money each week and put it in this, in this jar. And once we get to a certain amount of money, 10 grand, we can then go on the vacation. So they're seeing the value of what it's like to save and, and work through those things from a financial structure. Um, and then again, from the, the overarching, just, um, we don't like people can have virtues, they can have values, they can eat those. Those are all wonderful things. If you want to do them, we like to have traditions. I just think in every moment, there's an opportunity to be really real. I try mm-hmm. to distill myself down in front of my kids all the time. So they don't ever want to be me. And I make it very clear to them that they should never be me. They mm-hmm. should be them. And they go, well, dad, we want to be you. I go, I love that you say that. And it makes me feel good. But what make me feel even better is for you to be who you are. Don't ever do anything for me ever. And I really make that a point constantly for them to understand that. Cause I don't ever want them to try to live my life or feel guilty that they're not. And I don't know what that life is going to be like for them. I have no idea. I have no idea where I'm going to go in a day, right? Like, neither do you. We don't know if we're going to be here. Right. So it's almost, it's sure, we have probability that we'll probably be at a certain spot, but at some point we won't. And so it's what makes all of us grow and have the ability to be a human and, and watch about 10 years old to what it looks like when you're 40. We didn't do any of this. In fact, we didn't even make kids. Like I understand how kids are made, right? right, right. I'm just saying like, go make an eyeball. Like, and this way I, I tried to, I'm like, kids are so funny because you have a responsibility to raise them and teach them some things. Of course, all those different things that are there and you should, you should, you should teach them and help them in the, in the world as much as you can, mm. but you're not doing any of that. The wow. real work, you're not making them grow. You're not, you didn't give them their personality, right? As you know, growing up in almost the same house, you have two different kids, right? They come in here with something. Your job is to keep them basically alive until they can start critically thinking for themselves. <laughs> Adam, I love your response to that question. And the, and the way we're going down that line to me, anybody who's tuning into this right now, whether they're live or after the fact, listening or watching, that is a direct blueprint and example to advise professionals. The way that you are speaking to your children and living by example and setting those expectations and standards, having clarity is the same principles that apply through any layer of leadership. And I love that you're mentioning that. It's just a poised question instead of the stale, sterile, what's your leadership look like? And how are you growing the team in the organization? I mean, I distill it down to the finest of family. And, and you being a true practitioner in nature to live that life by example, by light. And the way that we do one thing is executed on how we do everything. Adam, to me, that's massive. I, these are only touch points and tiny drops in the bucket of your knowledge base. I know we're barely even scratching the surface, but you, I want to talk about your podcast. You've got big announcement coming up here. You got another book. So I want to make sure the audience knows about these things before we wrap up, because I know you got a hard stop. So let's talk about the podcast itself, because I know that people are saying, Adam's incredible. I want to hear this guy every day. Where can I learn more from that? So tell us about the podcast in and of itself, the 200% life and kind of what it's all about. Why did you create it? Kind of what's, what's that story going on? 
Yeah. Thank you. Um, thanks for the opportunity to share that. You know, we have a, a podcast, um, Hallie Warner, my chief of staff and I have done forever. Um, we've, I've switched over now, Caitlin, um, uh, an individual that's working with us is now doing the podcast with me as well too. Mm-hmm. It's called the 200% life. We have over 200 episodes. Um, and it's really, there's a few interviews, but most of them are, um, Hallie and I, uh, mm-hmm. having very deep conversations just like this that are tackling, like, how do you have, how do you fire somebody and be conscious, right? Mm-hmm. How do you stay present in the moment, but deal with, you know, trying to build a budget and forecast the future. Right? right. So it's really about the integration between the two, which is, which is what I've dubbed the 200% life, which is hundred percent inner and hundred percent outer hundred percent inner is the voice. It's the emotions is your spiritual heart. The outer is everything else, money, fame, authority roles that we play mother father right mm-hmm. business owners leaders all of those things and how do you the 200 life book so the podcast has, has been there for a while the book came about from just a tremendous amount of questions that people have asked over over 10 years mm-hmm. and so just i i'm a fan of when you have something to say you should write it you shouldn't just write it to write it mm-hmm. and um to me it's it's it was it was clear that it was time and to create a model for how people can build a business succeed have a really fun outwardly life, but not have this self-concept of what it means to be a spiritual person. Like if, you know, I've spent a lot of time with a lot of spiritual masters and, Mm. you know, and and they're not, some of them, like I've spent a lot of time with Michael Singer from Untethered Soul or the Surrender Experiment. I love that guy. And like, he built a billion dollar business. You never know it. You go into his house, he's got a camper stove in there. And it's not because he couldn't buy it. He just doesn't want it. And that's not, and then that doesn't mean anything. You could Go to Oprah, right? Or something else. Or, you know, Eckhart Tolle is somebody that everyone knows, right? The number one question Eckhart Tolle gets is, why are you in Starbucks? Literally. And he's like, because I like coffee. He goes to Starbucks every morning. And he drinks wine. So we're trying to get rid of distilling this concept of like being a spiritual person means that I have to put, you know, sit on a mountaintop in front of a fire in a cave in, in, in the Himalayas until I'm ready to come out. No, it actually means living life, interacting with it. But it, it, the difference is what part of you is interacting. Is the self-concept or is it you flowing and dealing directly with one, the one consciousness that's actually dealing with it? So the 200% life is really a model, a framework for how you can bridge that gap as a place to start. And we do weave in some business concepts of how to tackle the two because most of our audience or people that know who I am are in that business space. So I tried to tear it a little bit to both. But Adam, to me, and again, thank you for sharing. I, I would encourage everybody to uh, obviously subscribe to uh, Adam's podcast. Incredible stuff. I've tuned into several episodes myself, and it is absolute gold. Uh, you know, looking at it from the the uh, the book, so it's it's getting released October 9th. Is that right, yes, Adam? Next and, next Monday. Yeah. So coming up real soon here. And uh, so I am also on the waiting list. So I would encourage everybody to go to adamhergenrother.com forward slash books. Or you could just go to adamhergenrother.com and you'll see the books tab. Um, I would join the wait list. Um, so Adam, and, and I want to get this because we were chatting right before and I know we got to wrap this up here. Uh, I have not touched this bad boy yet, which is your first book here, but you recommended reading the 200% life first. Is that something you would say to everybody out there too? If they haven't read them both yet to kind of go in that order, what are your thoughts there? Um, you know, there's not really, I think for you, I was just telling that I think you would enjoy 200% life first. It depends on where you are in your business. The founder force multiplier is, you know, was incredibly successful, way more than Hallie and I thought it would be. Uh, and it's turned into a whole movement worldwide. 
Uh, it really provides a framework and model and a fun read, and but really a um, a prescribed way to have a relationship between a founder and its executive assistant, personal assistant, or chief of staff. And it becomes how do you? And it's a book that's designed to be a guide to work together to create a harmonious strategic relationship between the two. So if that's something that you're in need of, a lot of people are definitely grab that. Both these books, by the way, are. You know, un, there's an audible version of Founder Force Multiplier. There will be audible of the 200% life coming out in November. Um, wow. Just got to finish up the rest of the, the audible there. Um, but I, I would, if you're in that phase where you're like, I need leverage, I, I, have, I have an EA, I need to figure out my relationship, go grab the Founder Force Multiplier. The 200% life is more of this, these larger existential questions, which is how do I bridge the gap between this inner experience that I'm having wow. and this outer world that I really want to live? Um, and what does it all mean? And how do I make sense of it? I love it. I, I can't wait. And I'll definitely give you feedback, Adam, for sure. I, I cannot you. wait to dive deep into those, my friend. And uh, I know you got a hard stop here. We're right at that time. Adam, I can't thank you enough for just the time and the detail and everything you laid before. Anything, final words, final thoughts before we wrap it up today? I appreciate you having me on. I mean, it's 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 valuable. And, and for I'm really, honestly, just, uh, I'm still, uh, you know, bewildered is not the right word, but I'm still just fascinated of how many people are interested in the, their inner journey uh, still and how much it's really growing. And it's so wonderful to see um, because there's, I think there's just much more to life than people are are realizing. And I think people are realizing that are waking up and asking the questions, the deeper questions, which puts them on a completely different path in life. So keep going down that journey, no matter where you are. Huge advice all the way through, Adam. I uh, can't thank you enough. I do have to dub you an official real estate titan, my friend. That is a badge of honor you can wear forever. It's in your heart. There's no trophies or plaques, as I always say, but uh, that is yours forever, uh, Adam, for sure. So I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, everybody out there, I can't thank you enough. As always, your time and attention, 11 Sport. If you like here, we're doing with real estate titans. Don't forget to like, subscribe. You know what to do at this point. I do have to give our sponsor a quick shout out, Lion Bolt Media. If you are a real estate professional looking to grow and scale your business with leading edge digital marketing, visit lionboldmedia.com. Now we're live here on Real Estate Titans every Tuesday afternoon, a different Titan, a different location. Catch everybody in the next live episode of Real Estate Titans. Take care. Thanks, Adam. Thank you.